time she got money all the time. I went on the other gals I know and I could take your place. Off when I get to a jam, staying in the rain. So now that your back is make another round. You here by my side, babe, deal just can't go down. Now if I lose, if I lose, let me lose, let me lose. I don't care, I don't care much I lose. If I lose a hundred dollars, I'm trying to win it up. My baby, she got money all the time. I never thought I need you, but now I find a room. Come on, my sweet mama, back where you belong. I've gambled over time, find that I can't win. Come on back and pick me up again. Now if I lose, if I lose, let me lose. I don't care how much I lose. If I lose a hundred dollars, I'm trying to win a dime. My baby, she got money all the time. Brian, you'll guitar up. Can you turn the lead guitar up some? Turn it up through the monitors. Can you hear it right good? Yeah. Perhaps 
to plant some flowers on my cold, unworthy grave. Come and sit alone beside me when the rose is not in wane. Miss me when I'm gone. Oh, well, you miss me. Miss me when I'm gone. Well, you miss me. Miss me when I'm gone. Well, you miss me when I'm gone. On a cold, dark Sunday morning In a country far away A little girl from old Kentucky Lifted up her voice to say Will you miss me? Miss me when I'm gone. Oh, well, you miss me. Miss me when I'm gone. Well, you miss me. Miss me when I'm gone. Well, you miss me when Oh, my peace and wine. 
little Maggie's gonna dance for daddy. Just listen to that old manger. St. Peter eating out him at the dog at night. He said he never knew him. It was an awful sight. He looked upon St. Peter in the eyes of perfect love. St. Peter's heart was broken. He prayed to God above. Oh, the cry from the cross. For give him blessed Father. He died upon the cross. The Jesus cried from the cross. The Son of God was dying to save the world from all. Crying, Father, Finish, ain't about his head and die. The world was left in darkness, the graves were open wide. Near the earthquake ship Jerusalem on the dead walked in the town. The multitude was frightened, God dragged him pouring down. For oh, the cry from the cross, forgiving blessed Father died upon the cross. For oh, the cry. The Son of God was dying to save the world from love. Thank you, folks. Appreciate it. Like I say, howdy to you. Welcome to the show here at the great uh, Madeline Farm here in Flemingsburg, Kentucky. Good to see y'all, and it's good to be here singing again this year. Hey, what look like you got a big crowd here. Willie's done a good job with this thing. Good to see Willie, girls. We're going to do a little gospel. I'm sure you folks probably hear the song named Rank Strangers. 
We'll try it in here for you. I wandered again to my home in the mountains where a new sail is down on land and free. I looked for my friend, but I never could find them. I found they were like strangers to me. Everybody I'm here. Everybody I'm here. Seem to be a right stranger. No mother or dad. No mother or dad. Not a friend could I see. Not a friend could I see. They knew not my name. They knew not my name. And I knew not their face. I knew not their face. I found they were all, all rank strangers, strangers, strangers to me, rank strangers to me. They've all moved away. The divorce of a stranger To a beautiful home On the brightest old sea Some beautiful day I'll meet them in heaven Where no one will be A stranger Everybody I'm here, everybody I'm here, seem to be a right stranger, no mother or dad, not a friend could I see, not a friend could I see, they knew not my name, and I knew not their face. Their faces. I found they were all, I found all they were all strangers, strangers to me. Thank you, folks. Thank you very much. Everybody having a good time? Enjoyed yourself so far, have you? Here at the festival? Yeah. I'm going to introduce these guys here to you. Fell on the long end down there playing the lead guitar. He's got it turned upside down. <laughs> He's from the good state of Kentucky, around Grayson, Kentucky. Elijah Ball, make him welcome if you would. The gentleman here on the five-string banjo, he'd been in this music a pretty good while. He started when he was real young. The state police, now they keep me under control, so I have to watch when I'm around him. Anyway, he came from Louisa, Kentucky, around Lawrence County. His name is Mr. Zach Wright. Give him a good hand for you. Gentlemen here on the bass singing all the tenor and all the little league. Some, uh, I think he's one of the finest you ever hear. 
And he lives in uh, Grayson, Kentucky. His name is Colonel Danny Davis. Make him help, if you would. Thank you. I get the honor to bring on the main man of the group. Uh, he's played in bluegrass for probably as long as I've been alive, if not more. Uh, it ain't that long. But uh, he played four long years with Ralph Stanley in the 80s. Did a real fine job singing lead and some of the tenor whenever they let him. And uh, he didn't get the credit for it, though, but he did a good job. Um, he's from Sandy Hook, Kentucky. Make welcome Colonel Sammy Atkins. Thank you, though. Appreciate it. Children go where I send you. Oh, Lordy. How will I send you? Oh, I'm going to send you one by one. One was a little bitty baby. Born, children born in Bethlehem. Children go where I send thee. Oh, Lordy. How will I send thee? Oh, I'm going to send thee two by two. Two was a Paul and Silas. One was a little bitty baby. Born, children born in Bethlehem. Children go where I send thee. Oh, Lordy. How will I send thee? Oh, I'm going to send thee three by three. Because three was a Hebrew children. Two was a Paul and Silas. One was a little bitty baby. Born. Children born in Bethlehem. Children go where I send thee. Oh, Lordy. How will I send thee? Oh, I'm going to send you four by four. Four was a four that stood at the door. Three was a Hebrew children. Two was a Paul and Silas. One was a little bitty baby. Born. Children born in Bethlehem. Children go where I send you. Oh, Lordy. How will I send you? Oh, I'm going to send you ten by ten. The ten was a ten commandments. Nine was a nine that stood in the line. Eight was an eight that waited at the gate. Seven was a seven that never got to heaven. Six was a six that didn't get fixed. Oh, my five, come back alive. Four was a four that stood at the door. Three was a Hebrew children. Two was a Paul and Silas. One was a little bitty baby. Born. Children born in Bethlehem. In Bethlehem, born in Bethlehem. Thank you, folks. Thank you, folks, very much. Don't forget our CD table right over here. We're set up here on the side of the good friend Gary York sitting under my table there. I'd like to say hi to him. So to hear about his wife, Mary, will be missed here. Everybody loves her. One of the finest fellows you ever meet. Gary, this song here for you. Take your hammer and give it to the captain.
Take this hammer, carry it to the captain. Take this hammer, carry it to the captain. Take this hammer, carry it to the captain. Tell him I'm gone. Tell him I'm gone. If he asked you, was I running? If he asked you, was I running? If he asked you, was I running? Tell him I'm a fly. Tell him I'm a fly. Take this hammer, carry it to the captain. Take this hammer, carry it to the captain. Take this hammer. Tell him I'm gone. Tell him I'm gone. I don't want your cold on shaking. I don't want your cold on shaking. I don't want your cold on shackles Hurt my leg, hurt my leg Take this hammer, carry to the captain Take this hammer, carry to the captain Take this hammer, carry to the captain Tell him I'm gone, tell him I'm gone Well, they say I'm from Kentucky. Well, they say I'm from Kentucky. They say I'm from Kentucky. That's where I'm from. That's where I'm from. Take his hammer, carry to the captain. Take his hammer, carry to the captain. Take his hammer. Take this hammer, carry to the captain. Take this hammer, carry to the captain. Take this hammer, carry to the captain. Then I'm gone. Then I'm gone. Folks, we have a request. Somebody wanting to hear a Jesus Savior pilot. May it's been a while since we've done that, but we're going to try it for you anyway. See that out there. Willie over there.
Jesus, Savior, pilot me. Jesus, Savior, pilot me. Over life in Chart and corporate came from thee. Jesus, Savior, pilot me. Unknown way before me rolled. Hiding rocks and treacherous shoals. Jesus, Savior, pilot me. Jesus, Savior, pilot me. May I hear thee say, Fear not, I will pilot me. Fix me and a peace for it. And while leaning on my breast, Jesus said, He said, Fear not, I will pilot thee, will pilot I'm gonna let these boys sing a song or two. They want to be trying to lose sure they're young and like to borrow one up, so we're gonna let them do that. Well, if you wanna do one, get your mail and come on up. No, you're more than welcome. What is it? Go ahead, you sing. You have to give me, give me the words here. There'll be shouting on the hills of glory. Shouting on the hills, shouting on the hills. Shouting on the hills of glory, there'll be shouting on the hills of God. Oh, what a blessed reunion! Oh, what a blessed reunion! When we're together over yonder, there'll be shouting on the hills of God. There'll be shouting on the hills of glory, shouting on the hills. 
shouting on the hills. They'll be shouting on the hills of glory. They'll be shouting on the hills of God. Now's the time to make your reservations. Now's the time to make your reservations. So stop and make your preparations. There'll be shouting on the hills of God. There'll be shouting on the hills of glory. Shouting on the hills, shouting on the hills, shouting on the hills of glory. They'll be shouting on the hills of God. There'll be shouting on the hills of glory. Shouting on the hills, shouting on the hills. Shouting on the hills of glory, shouting on the hills of God. Ought I sing for my friend? At day go for my seat when I reach my journey's end. Who will sing for me? I wonder who will sing for me. When I come to the cross of its silent sea, who will sing for me? When crowds shall gather round and look down on me, will they turn and walk away, or will they sing one song for me? Of its silent sea, who will sing for me? Who will sing for? 
Thank you, folks. Thank you very much. Hope you enjoy them too. We have a request to do a song that uh, I know you folks probably hear this, this song here done this way or the other way, but you hardly ever hear it done the old time way, what they call John Henry, the Steel Driving Man. We're going to try it for you there. But my friend now, John Henry, said, couldn't hardly stay in bed. One Sunday morning on that eastbound train, up am where John Henry fell dead, Lord, Lord. I'm where John Henry fell dead. John Henry was a little bitty boy sitting on his grandpappy's knee. He picked up a hammer and a little piece of steel said, Had to be a death of me, Lord, Lord. Had to be a death of me. John Henry told his captain, the next time you go to town, bring John back a nine-pound hammer, he's gonna, gonna beat that steam drill down, Lord, Lord, gonna beat that steam drill down. John Henry hammered on the right hand side, the steam drill was on the left. But before I let that drill beat me down, I hammered my fool self to death, Lord, Lord. Hammered my fool self to Folks, we'd like to try another song now. We've been singing a while, and uh, I'm not sure. If I may have this recorded on the CD where I sold them all out last weekend, I think, most of them, at Poppy Mountain, and uh, they didn't get the order none this week. This song was uh, live up in Dayton, so I, I don't know what's on there. I mean, if it got the CD, but it, sh it should be if uh, we got it there. I just think I'll go away. Hope you enjoy it. It makes no difference where I wonder No matter what I say or do I can't outlive this memory of you And I'll try to when I think of you 
Instead of being blue and lonely, I just think I'll go away. We seen we both could have been happy if things had only turned out right. From now on, each day I'll think about you, and I'll dream of you, dear, every night. Somehow you wouldn't let me love you. The plans we made have gone astray. Instead of being lonely, I just think I'll go away. It makes no difference where I wonder No matter what I say or do I can't outlive this memory of you I'll try, dear, when I think of you Somehow you wouldn't The plans we made have gone astray Instead of being blue and lonely I just think I'll go away I just think I'll go away Folks, I think Danny had a request to do a song here. We're going to try to help him out. One he'd been singing a whole lot. I guess he learned this from Jack Cook, Ralph Stanley, back years ago. <coughs> yeah. 
Do another song here, and I haven't done this in a long time, but I hope we can render the words to it. One call all the good times are past and gone. Hope you enjoy that. See that he's pound passenger train coming around the bend. It's taken away my own true love Never return again All the good times are passing on All the good times are on All the good times are passing on Little darling, don't you wait no more Lord, I've never been born. Our dad and I was young. I've never seen those two blue eyes. I heard your little line come. All the good times are passing on. All the good times are
Try another gospel song here now. We just sang this for a long time. Ralph Stanley and I sang this back through the years. That's one called The White Dove. Hope you enjoy it. White Dove. White Dove. Ready? In the deep rolling hills of old Virginia. There's a place I love so well Where I spent many days of my childhood In a cabin where we love to dwell I do well morning sorrow Mother and We were all so happy there together in our peaceful little mountain home. But to save our needed angels in heaven, now they sing around the great white throne. I know the morning sorrow. The willows will hang their head. I live my in sorrow since mother and daddy are As the years roll by, I often wonder Will we all be together someday? And each night as a wonder to the graveyard 
Lord, to find me where I kneel to pray. My Special request, we know we'll try our best to do them for you.
some glad morning when the slop is over. I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away, fly away. Oh, When the shadows of the top have gone, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away, fly away. Oh, I'll fly away, fly away, glory. I'll fly away, fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by. Folks, we're going to try your song that uh, Ralph Stanley and I used to sing this song back years ago. It's a real pretty gospel song. We're called Zion's Hills. Hope you enjoy it. Silent 
someday the storm cloud will be lifted beyond the shadow of the tomb and with all the bells of heaven ring and the angels singing home sweet home someday I think somebody had requested farther along. I have done this long. I about forgot the words to it. I used to sing it back years ago, but we'll let uh, Liza, I think you know the words to it. What you in? What you in there? Is everybody still enjoying yourself and having a good time, are you? I think Willie is, sitting there in the shade. I still think you ought to sing one with us. I think the first uh, time I played here, we sang, I mean, your daughter sang right here. I can't remember what it was, but we done one. Whoever requested the father along right here, it is. There she is. Who did? You ready? Tempted and tried, we're off made to wonder why it should be thus all the day long. While there are others living about us, never molested, going around. Farther along, we'll know all about him. Farther along, we'll understand why. Cheer up, my brother, live in the sunshine. We'll understand it all by and by. When we see Jesus coming in glory, 
We leave our home so lonely and dread While others cross in death-chilly waters Never more precious year after year Farther along we'll know all about it Farther along we'll understand why Cheer up my brother Live in the sunshine We'll understand it All by and by Well, we got time for two more songs I guess we might close out with uh, some bluegrass Would y'all mind if we just close out with bluegrass? Cares. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, it's been a pleasure being here with you today, and I'm, I'm glad that uh, Willie called me and booked me down here because it's been a while since I played here. And all that comes about up a festival here, and uh, one of the finest places, facility you ever find anywhere. I've played all over the world with Ralph Stanley, but I've never played in a nicer place. This right here. Let's give Willie a nice hand, and all the organizations put this together. Y'all done a fine job, appreciate it. And hope we come back and see you again. Would you like to see us come back with you? Maybe some other time? Folks, don't forget the record table over here. Uh, you see my name on mine, and uh, I think uh, Eliza Danny's right beside of it. So uh, we've been around for a while here. If you want to talk to us, uh, maybe take some pictures or something. We'll see you somewhere on the line. Good night. God bless you. Appreciate it. Sweet babies on, I lay down and sat till I drink and back. Oh, my sweet babies on. Now, where was you last Friday night? While I've been lying down in jail. Walking the street with another man, you wouldn't even go my bell. Rolling my sweet baby's arm, rolling my sweet baby's eyes. I lay around and sat and I'm drinking back, rolling my sweet baby's arm. On the river, hang on to work on a farm. Way round the shack till they'll drink them back. Rolling my sweet baby's on. Rolling my sweet baby's on. Rolling my sweet baby's on.
Down the road drift from me lies an old hollow tree where you lay down a dollar or two. You go round the bend and you come back again with a jug full of that good old Mountain Dew. Oh, they call it that old Mountain Dew. And then there if you let off you. I'll hush up my mouth if you fill up my jug with good old Mountain Dew. Now, Mr. Rosenbell told him just how he felt when he had out to draw on through. If he let go too red and swell up, you had better stick to that good old Mountain Dew. Oh, the call it that old Mountain Dew, do, 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 and then every few let off you, few, few. I'll wash up my mug, fill up my jug, that old Mountain Dew. Well, my uncle Norty sawed off his shorty, he made it four feet too. But if you like the giant, we give him a pint of a good old Mountain Dew. Oh, they call it that old Mountain Dew, Dew, and it'll never feel it or feel, feel, feel. I'll let you my mug, fill up my jug with good old Mountain Dew. Mama is a beauty operator, sit there if she wastes and spend. That dirty line on your cotton mill, watching the money rolling. Rolling my sweet baby's arms, rolling my sweet baby's arms. I lay around and sat drinking back, rolling my sweet baby's arms. Thank you, folks. Thank Go tell it on the mountain. No, no. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry about that. We'll do you nothing. Well, thank you. We appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, hang on, hang on. And you guys got to give it up one more time. That was absolutely phenomenal. That was so good. Um, so before... Before we move on to our first speaker, we have one of our own, a Bards Nation. You guys know him in the chat as Minuteman7777. Raise your hand if you're in the chat. Raise your hand if you know who I'm talking about. There you go. So he has read a song that Scott has read on the show. <laughs> Jeff Cologne, and I just read these lyrics. And someone just came up to me and said, you gotta hear, you gotta hear this song, it's so good. He says, it's better than Richmond, north of Richmond. 
I read the lyrics. Kind of is. So I want you guys to give it up for Minute Man 7777. Thank you. Boy, it's, uh, it's, uh, God is doing a wonderful thing here. He really is. He's imparting to us an anointing to go out. God gave me this song about four weeks ago in a matter of about, huh, about an hour. And, uh, do I get, uh, yeah. Because I honestly believe it's up to our generation, the boomers, to teach and train the younger generation that's coming up now what it means to be an American. Because I'm old enough to remember the way it used to be. And I see the way it is now, and it breaks my heart. And I got grandkids that are growing up, and that's what the song's about. It's called, I'm Old Enough to Remember. Do you remember when a man could work a single job and support his family with a stay-at-home mom to raise the kids with much love and liberty? Do you remember when high school boys would bring their rifles to school for shooting sports and competition and nobody got shot because respect for life was taught as a family tradition? I'm old enough to remember. Do you remember when a boy dressed up like a girl, he was considered mentally ill? Do you remember when mama's home remedies worked better than a pharmaceutical pill? Do you remember the time when the Bible and prayer was actually taught and allowed in our schools? And many of our government officials actually lived by the golden rule. I'm old enough to remember. Do you remember the times when men could speak their minds without the fear of being arrested? How the children could play out in the streets without the fear of being shot or molested? Do you remember the time when the police and sheriffs actually served and protected and the faithfulness of their service wasn't measured by the amount of revenue collected? I'm old enough to remember. I'm old enough to remember. This is the America I grew up in. It seems now long gone. I hope for the future is growing dim. But in my heart there remains a song of faith, of hope, and undying love that drives me to carry on. Because when I see the light in my grandchildren's eyes, my eyes moist up with tears. Because I see the future that they'll inherit if we cave in and give in to fear. Do you remember the time when children were cherished without measure and we didn't tolerate wicked men 
who would abuse them for deviant pleasure. I'm old enough to remember. I'm old enough to remember the way it used to be. We gotta stoke the flaming embers and the zeal for liberty. Cause one day my grandkids will ask of me, saying, Grandpa, what did you do during the time that tried men's souls? Did you stand and fight for your liberty or did you cave in? Cause you felt that you were too old. I'll declare this truth till the day I die That I will not sit idly by And watch as their future gets stolen With God as my strength and my song I'll do my best to carry on in His Word For their sake Cause I'm old enough to remember I'm old enough to remember. Thank you. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, is that awesome or what? Thank you, man. He sent me. Okay. Okay. I want to show you all how, how God works. There's some ladies coming up. I just want to tell a story real quick because... How many of you heard the diamond ring was missing yesterday? Well, we found it. And I tell you what, there's some ladies that came here. There's an 80 year old lady came and drove here from Florida by herself with her dog. 80 years old. There's a, they're like the sisterhood, the Yaya sisterhood of traveling pants over here. We got a lady, Amy. She's been listening to Bards End and us. And, uh, She's got a whole tribe of women. We, they need some men. Anybody? A single man? Oh, come on. Uh, we can make some matches. You're the right kind. Um, so she's got Amy and her mom, who is 79. She had a heart attack in July. She's healed right now. And the doctor said that she has the vessels of a 40-year-old. Okay? And we're believing right now this lady right here, Kay Kittrell, K-I-T-T. R-E-L-L. -L. She's got a YouTube channel, 111,000 subscribers. She lives by herself in gardens and teaches people how to garden. And, she, and these women right here, her, his song was just about age. Age is just a number. And that's what you guys have to recognize. These ladies have been promised 120 years. And if you want a blessing, these ladies are going to pray for you to have a long life. I just made that up. That's God. Okay. So they're going to sit down and they're going to pray for all y'all who want a long life. So I hope y'all are ready to pray for a little while. Okay. Cause I want to be prayed for too. Okay. So I want y'all to know this lady, Amy, come here. She said, she's been listening to Bards, but she said, I haven't been in the chat. Who are you in the chat? Fur mama too. Fur mama too? Fur mama. Fur mama. Anybody know fur mama too in the chat? Okay, well, she's been gardening and doing chickens and chicken tractors. When you go to Resistance Chicks on Facebook, because this man adult do Facebook, but we do the pictures. Okay, so y'all can see your pictures on Resistance Chicks Facebook, and you can. I'm going to upload some of her farm pictures, but I want to encourage you guys. So what? 
So I'm going to tell you over here, this is what happened with the ring. Miss Donica over here said, Lord, we know we can find this ring. They're going everywhere finding this ring. He, she said, God, where's that ring? She had a vision of a pair of jeans, and the Lord said they're in the jeans. She tells Amy, this is her niece. Go check those jeans. She goes to the hotel at night. She'd already checked her jeans. She pulls it out of her pocket, and there's a diamond. So just tell just real quick about why that that's important to you. Well... I was married for almost 61 years, and I lost my husband in 2020. And it was just the thought of losing it. <laughs> so I, I appreciate all the prayer and the hunting last night because it meant a lot to me because it was part of him. And I just started shouting hallelujah, praise God in the bathroom when I found this. And so I just thank everyone of y'all for helping me and thank God Almighty. And uh, But it meant so much to me. It really did. And uh, you just don't know how blessed I feel. I really felt blessed because I thought, well, it's gone and I won't get it back. But God helped me get it back. And I was so, so, so thankful. And felt so blessed. Thank y'all so much. Thank you. All right. So I know you guys needed to hear that testimony today. And we got to do, I mean, that's what this is all about. Of course. Okay. I got to unwind. Give me a second. Hey, I'm not kidding you. We're going to have them. We're going to have Well, actually, they're back there. All their chairs are back there. Go back there. That's the best thing about the Holy Spirit. You never know what's coming. You got me on? You never know what's going to happen when we run an event like this, and that's awesome. So I'll tell you what. We've got, like I said, it's Veterans Day. And uh, this is really a, so much about bringing tribes together. And it's about bringing people together to a bigger tribe, which is the body of Christ. I think one of the things that's really not known a lot is we know when we talk about special operators, we know about a lot of what Hollywood shows us. We've got high-speed stuff, kicking indoors, all this cool kit stuff. But what we don't get to see as a public, which God's given me the chance to see and to experience, is the heart of these men. These people, you're hearing some of them today, you heard from Ivan Ranklin. You heard from Brad Miller. And you're going to hear from another man right now. He's a father, a husband. He's a Navy SEAL. He is truly a man of integrity and value. And God called him to step in and run for office. We talked and prayed. And God's led him to do something that's a different mission now. He knows the high-speed mission. He's done them. He's done them hard and he's hit it hard. He's made it through buds, he's done all the things that, all that stuff that you hear about. But this mission's a different mission, it's a, and it's probably, in my opinion, one of his most dangerous missions, because now he's in a, in a world where his family, by this enemy, is prey. You see, they see them as prey, and we're not gonna let that happen. But I want, you to, I want to introduce you to a Navy SEAL, American hero, Cam Hamilton. Cam, you all ready? 
Here we go. Well, good afternoon, everyone. I'll, uh, I'll be honest, following a pretty amazing bluegrass band is sort of like saying, hey, would you like to perform after Elvis? Like, um, you know, sure, I, I guess we'll, we'll wing this. <laughs> I'm not going to be anywhere near as entertaining as these gentlemen over here. So Sammy Atkins and the band over there, really wonderful time. I really enjoyed listening to you all. So let's give them another round of applause, please. So my name is Cameron Hamilton. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. We'll go on a little bit of a journey, and then I'll tell you the things that I think God has put on my heart and the path that he's put me on for some reason due to his abundant sense of humor, I'll say. So I grew up in Northern California, kind of old school libertarian holdout. Uh, but our family was good and decent. And I wouldn't say that I grew up in a faithful home. But I grew up in a home knowing that the scripture had importance and significance. And so over time, I cultivated a sense of a relationship with God, but I always felt very distant from him. I felt very removed. I felt very entitled to live my life as I chose, uh, but that God was sort of an afterthought. But deep down, I knew that there was importance there and that he and I would have business together. So as time would have it, I grew up and I had this urge as, as a young boy, my son over there, Micah, is, is 12, almost 13. When I was about that age, I had a calling on my heart to be a warrior. And a lot of times when we think about that, it can be allegorical. It can be literal. There's a variety of different ways you can think of you know, what entails a warrior, spiritual warrior, physical warrior, warrior in prayer, a warrior in whatever industry you work within. It's more of a mindset than it is a qualification. But I chose to join the armed services. I had an opportunity to play soccer semi-professionally, and no matter what, no matter what opportunities were unfolding, it never quite satisfied the calling that I believe I had. So, um, looked at the Air Force, definitely wasn't my cup of tea, looked at the Army, looked at the Marine Corps, something about the US Navy seemed to be calling me, something about this notion of being a frogman, being an underwater demolition team expert. So I joined the SEAL teams. I went to core school first up in Great Lakes or Great Mistakes, Illinois. If any of you are from that area, I apologize. Um, it's quite a notorious region, uh, but nonetheless, I became a hospital corpsman and that was after 9-11. The difference between a lot of generations that joined the armed services before versus after 9-11 is that those of us that joined afterwards knew exactly what we were getting into. Now that's not meant to be a slight or any kind of a statement of, of, of ranking of superiority between those that served before the war on terror started and those that served after. But it was very sober-minded what it was that we were meant to do. When I joined the military, I knew we were a nation at war, and I knew it was my great obligation and my great duty and privilege to serve. So I joined the Navy, I went to hospital corps school, and then I had an opportunity to screen to go to BUDS, basic underwater demolition SEAL training. Interesting time. They uh, are very, very well skilled and adept at making you uncomfortable and painful. Uh, but either way, the whole time in the back of my mind, I knew that God was preparing me and putting my body through physical trials for something else. 
for something different, something beyond it, to teach me more about my character and about my own ability to push past my levels and my limits into a realm that I didn't expect I could go. So as time would have it, I did four deployments. I met my beautiful wife in North Carolina. Uh, so for all of you North Carolinians out there, you've, you've got a special place in my heart. Um, but that being said, I took the best thing out of that state, I will say, uh, and took her with me to Virginia. Um, so I spent some time in Virginia Beach, and then I had an opportunity to screen for a premiere program. Something I thought, wow, this is, this is a godsend, this is an opportunity for me, and then what happens? I'm rejected. And I won't go into all the specifics, but it was pretty humbling for me. It's sort of the pinnacle of what our program was as a SEAL, as a medic, and still, uh, I did not have an opportunity to succeed in the avenue I expected to. So, frustratingly, I looked at other options. Well, what do I do now? Well, ironically, God had me going a different direction. Sometimes when doors are closed, others can be opened. And sometimes that is, or almost always, it is for his purpose and for his goodness. So I joined the State Department. I worked there for five years within the Directorate of Operational Medicine. And I still felt that despite my time in the SEAL teams, despite my time working overseas, building trust and rapport with the Afghans, understanding what it was to be a warfighter, that I was being prepared for something else. Pretty unique opportunity to work at the State Department, protecting secretaries of state, U.S. diplomats, things along those lines. A more exciting job in some manner, not quite as exciting for action, but a different level of kind of participation, uh, very inconsistent schedules. Again, my wife really loved that. Uh, but that being said, while I was there, it gave me a lot of insight into some of the sickness and the darkness that's been plaguing this nation. Because now I wasn't in the position of being a warfighter, simply following orders. I was now an individual who got to see political appointees, who got to see secretary-level cabinet officers on behalf of the executive branch, who got to see and work with members of Congress, with members of the U.S. Senate. And I started to notice some very glaring trends. And despite all of this, God had still been working on my heart, leading me out of rebellion and into cultivating a greater sense of faithfulness with him. So as time went on, I had an opportunity to go to DHS. Pretty unique chance. Um, so I took it. I became a division director for EMS. and got to manage about 4,000 EMTs all along the southern border. Individuals who work for Border Patrol, uh, Customs and Border Protection specifically, you have OFO, TSA, FEMA, you name it. So a variety of different individuals that I was responsible for managing oversight for. And there I got to see U.S. policy and I got to see the manner in which our government executes its responsibilities in yet a different way entirely. I got to actually read legislative language. I got to actually look at the bills that are passed by the U.S. Congress and I got to know the political process a little bit more intimately. And the same trends and glaring perspectives became evident to me that there is truly a moral and spiritual sickness that has been infiltrating and taken root within our nation. So there's a story that I like to refer to quite a bit. There's two that I'll reference today. One is the story of Gideon, and the other is the story of Naaman the leper. They're two very different stories, so we'll go and unpack each of them and why I think that they apply to the experiences that I had and God's ultimate call to bring me in a position to run for U.S. Congress. 
Uh, for those of you who, who live here in Kentucky, I'm sorry, I'm not running in Kentucky. I'm running in Virginia. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I hear you. <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, I do love the state of Kentucky, though, I will say. Um, but either way, moving on about the story of Gideon. During the time of Judges, Israel had been brought out of captivity and had been liberated from some of the some of the slavery and some of the paganism that had riddled their culture for years. And as God leads them out of Egypt into Canaan, he's very specific and very intentional and very purposeful. Do not worship me in the ways of the pagans. Do not worship me in their ways. Do not celebrate their feasts unto my name. And I think it's a really appropriate context because sometimes we get so inundated with the world and the world's perspective and the forces of darkness that we, we take that mantle upon ourselves and we adopt it. We assimilate it into ourselves, not in the way that God has called us to, but that wears us down. And so as Gideon is at a time of great crisis and the Israelites are without a leader, God calls to liberate them. Of course, Gideon's first response is, well, where have you been? Kind of having a hard time with the Midianites. Sure would be nice to have a little bit of help. Yeah, we know you parted the water and all that thing before. Yeah, whatever, that was in our generation. and It just really sucks right now. And so, of course, what the Father proclaims is that, fear not, for I am with you. I shall bring you forth. You shall strike the Midianites as one man. So there's a great sense of unity. And he compels Gideon to go. And what does he do? He finds mighty men of valor. He gives up his job. Gideon wasn't an individual seeking glory, seeking public affirmation. For some manner, he was humble enough to think that he should be a servant of the Almighty. And by that, he made himself the vessel capable of being poured into by the Father and by the Spirit. So Gideon goes, and most of us understand the story, eventually arriving at a number of 300 men, conquering hundreds, or not hundreds, but tens of thousands in a pretty compelling and amazing way, probably terrifying them. But either way, I, I would, of all the things I hope to see in the kingdom, I would love to see a recreation of that battle, just to understand fully what it was like in the chaos, because I'm sure it'd be, it'd be glorious. And all the soft guys would be there taking notes. Oh, yeah. Oh, they use these kind of lamps. Oh, okay, I got you. Like, oh, hey, you see how they clapped in sequence that way? And we're strategizing on how to do it ourselves. But either way, another example that I want to refer to is pertaining to the topic of dominion. And when we look at the sovereignty of the Father and the way that he formed the world, in Deuteronomy 32, the Father proclaims through the song of Moses that he divided up the nations and fixed their boundaries according to the number of the sons of God. Now, if you read a, a version of Scripture that's before the finding of the Dead Sea Scrolls, that'll say the sons of Israel. But that's not an accurate translation. The actual translation in Scripture, according to the number of the sons of God. That's a pretty compelling argument. What do you mean the number of the sons of God? I thought there was only one. The answer is, well, there is one supreme, but there are other created beings that are in the world that most of you are probably very familiar of their existence of. The fallen ones and the angels, the heavenly host, existing before mankind, part of the assembly 
that the Father has orchestrated throughout the known universe to act as his agents, his ambassadors. Some good, some not so good, obviously, as we know. But the most compelling thing that the Father orchestrated throughout the universe is a free will. And a free will when married up to being receptive to him and being humble enough to approach him and extol his glory can be poured into with insights and, in, and intellect. Sorry, this is getting a little bit of echo feedback. Is that better? Is that better right now? Okay. Uh, so when we marry our will to the will of the Father, we have a much better time of understanding his providence, his goodness, and we can align ourselves with him and he provides us insight and dwells us with the Spirit. Unfortunately, some of his sons disobeyed. We see the story of the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel falls. He scatters them throughout the earth. And for those of you wondering about the story of the Tower of Babel, they were not physically building a tower all the way up to the heavens. It's a ziggurat. It was a place of worship to commune with the spiritual world. A massive temple of the most pagan and idolistic customs you could imagine so as to commune with powers that mankind was not meant to communicate with. And so that was reprehensible to the Father because it removed him from the position of authority, and instead it made the worship of the creation the authority. We see that now, especially within even some of the climate movement, the worship of the creation rather than the creator, a big problem. But regardless, so he has disobedient sons that have come and have been scattered throughout the world and have been given actual dominion and authority. We also see this in Psalm 82, Psalm 88 as well, Psalm 87. How long shall you rule the nations unjustly? For surely you are like gods. So many of these disobedient sons were given authority and control over much of the world. And that's an important context that I want to identify here. So when it comes to dominion, throughout the pagan world, what we've seen is every nation over the history of time has believed that there's some kind of a supreme deity that governs it. There's some kind of unique God that you find in this land or that land. And when I say God, I mean little g, not big g, not the father. And they're not wrong in that perspective because they've had, we've had disobedient sons of the father that have waged war and that have sought to enslave mankind. We see examples of this in the book of Daniel where you see the angel of the Lord compelling and speaking to Daniel about how none fight against me and the prince of Persia. None help me except for Michael. So we see, okay, there's a duality. There's a clash. There's good powers. There's bad powers. When you hear Paul talk about it in Ephesians, it was mentioned earlier. We do not wage war against the flesh, but we wage war against the principalities. Principality, that's a legal term. That's a term that implies dominion over a jurisdiction and territory. So, let me go back to Naaman now. Imagine a pagan world where disobedient sons, disobedient created beings by the Father that have predated mankind are bitter and are angry at the notion that they would be created so as to help and extol mankind and have communion with the Father. That serving humanity was beneath them. And it was insulting and, and just the most awful assignment, the most despicable and beneath you assignment you could have. So these fallen ones, leading mankind into great rebellion over time, the notion of paganism is about placation. Placation to as many as you can. We don't commune with this little temple. The theory is, well, we have this 
item that we worship because the theory is the spirit of this God we are worshiping will come and dwell within it and it will give us favor in life. And so by placating many different gods, you're brokering with the spiritual world for favor, for influence. And thus, we're not putting our strength and reliance upon him. Instead, we're turning to the creation for favor, which is where it shouldn't be. So Naaman, a commander of the armies of Syria, a man who is humble in most ways, for some reason, the blessings and the honor of the Lord are upon him, and he gives him great successes in battle. Naaman is a leper. And for those of you that know about the ancient world, leprosy is not a survivable condition. Um, there's various stages that you go through. At least it's not as painful as other conditions, but nonetheless, leprosy in the ancient world is a death sentence by all attempts. So Naaman appeals to his king in Syria that he can go and, because of this Hebrew girl that they've now got working within his household, that he can go to these lands and that he speaks to this prophet. I don't know, maybe he'll do some cool witch doctor medicine and I'll be healed and give him a bunch of money, give him a bunch of robes, a bunch of clothing. Again, that common practice, placating towards the pagan deities. And instead what happens is, here's a guy who's equivalent to the Secretary of Defense or somebody of maybe the number two or the number three in the entire government being sent to this land. <laughs> the prophet Elisha doesn't even meet with him. He sends his servant out to meet with him. So you figure... You know, if the vice president came to wanted to meet with you and you wouldn't even meet with him, oh, I'm going to send you my disciple out there. I'm not even going to come near you. I don't want to touch you. Maybe it's because Elisha had some pragmatism. I really don't want to get leprosy. So you're the youngest. You go instead of me. Let me know how it goes. <laughs> Give him this message. We don't really know what's going through Elisha's head. But either way, Naaman's insulted, significantly insulted. And so in doing so, this this servant of Elisha tells him, go into the Jordan, wash yourself seven times and come back. And by the way, the Jordan's not like right behind Elisha's house. It's not, oh, hey, there's a creek in the backyard. Just go dip yourself in there a few times and come on back to the house. We're talking a several day journey down to another region, to a massive river, dip yourself in it seven times, then come several days back to a prophet who wouldn't even meet with you and talk to you face to face. And so, of course, Naaman is angry and bitter. But some of his servants appeal to him. He's probably on his last rope. He's probably in a condition that's very advanced. So he obeys. He does so. And after the seventh time of coming out, he's healed. An amazing story. Comes back to the prophet Elisha and says, I have no idea how this happened, but surely I know that your God is real tries to offer him gifts, tries to use the tools and the things that the world has given him. Hey, it's a service. You pay for it, right? You are healed. you got to give this priest all this money or women or gold or clothing or whatever it is that they wanted, right? Fine drink, all that stuff. But no, Elisha didn't want any of it because Elisha is in communion with the Spirit is understanding that the Spirit of God is working upon this pagan man to change his heart. And so what, is, what does Naaman do? He asks for two carts full of soil. Now this goes back to the, the, the emphasis of what we talk about with dominion. Soil in those days 
are significant because it implies territorial jurisdiction. Conquering kings at times, ancient kings of Persia, ancient kings of Greece, many times would bring soil from the land in which they originated from to the land in which they conquer, and they would ceremonially plant trees or place it in the ground to signify that now the soil from my land has come into your land. This land has been assimilated into my kingdom. My authority and dominion extends here. Naaman is using these same terms and is begging that he be loaded up with two carts full of soil from Israel. Very significant thing. So by doing that, he brings it back to his land and proclaims that he shall not offer any sacrifices to any other gods because he knows that the one who has dominion over that land and territory reigns supreme. Now there's a little bit more to the story that follows after that. But when Naaman understands at that moment of conversion, what he fully understands is that at that moment in time, the dominion and authority of God the Father, of Yahweh, or Jehovah, depending on how you say it, but the dominion and authority of the Father was upon him, and that all the days of his life, he would carry that banner and carry that flag, and that God would pardon him because he goes back into a land where they don't respect that dominion and authority. So effectively, he's taken off his old team patch and put on a new team patch. That's what we find in the military. And so why that's important? Because in my journeys, God has been preparing me, asking for two things, wisdom and discernment. And I've had these words audibly throughout my ears for years, years and years and years upon time, knowing that a decision would come before me and the path that I've meant to pursue for one purpose, to honor him and to bring glory to his name and goodness. So, one day, thank you. So a good friend of mine, who's currently in politics, approached me about running for U.S. Congress. And I'd been feeling the anxiety of a while of seeing things in government, working within government, various different programs, but being frustrated that I wasn't in a position to change them or to impact them in the manner in which I, I wanted to. And then this opportunity presented itself to me. And then the man who approached me said, don't even give me your answer. In fact, just let me pray over you first. And then you think about it and you let me know. And as he's praying, what I'm seeing in my mind is a vision from the Father standing in the Capitol, claiming that the authority and the dominion of God the Father would come over that land and would cleanse it and would deeply cleanse it from the iniquity. So like any good gung-ho operator, hey, I went and told my wife, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to run for Congress. Uh, so she was excited, ecstatic even. It was more like, okay, <laughs> you need therapy. Go get out of the house. <laughs> I don't know what you hit your head on, but go hit it a few more times until you think straight. But then one morning, she has a vision as well. And the vision is of us pouring living water in the swamp. And so, now there's many other things that have happened throughout then. And I didn't feel like I was bold enough or entitled enough to proclaim, like Gideon, hey, can you, uh, can you rain water down here except for my robe? And then I'm going to leave. 
And then I'm going to come back and then we'll do the opposite. We'll just do it on the road. You know, I don't feel like I can ask the Father for a sign that boldly. I don't know that I have that credibility. Um, but we ask for many different signs. <laughs> we do. Yeah, thank you. I'll make sure to tell him that. <laughs> but uh, we ask for many different signs. And then we had an abounding peace about it. So for me, service has been an honor. And we do have a sickness, a sickness in this nation. But in the book of Jeremiah, the father proclaims, pray for the welfare and well-being of the land in which you live. For it is in their welfare that you shall find your peace. And not only that, then, as I decided my decision, I got slipped an envelope with a note inside of it, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the Lord, I know the plans the Lord has for you. Not a plan for evil, but a plan for good. Um, so at the end of the day, here I was thinking, I'm a good Christian. I've been a soul, I've been a, well, not a soldier, probably, ugh, I hate saying that word. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I was a sailor fighting in the Navy, but I was a, a warrior nonetheless. I'm going to be a, a, a dutiful servant of my king and, and father, and I'm willing to do anything that he calls, except give up my comfort. Well, when you receive enough signs and you receive enough confirmation, then you know, okay, well, if the father tells me to get up and go, then that's where I shall go, lead, and I shall follow. So... I have a gift for my friend Scott over here because I was at a very difficult time in my decision. And I wasn't sure if I was making the right decision because by the, by the context of the values of the world, this made absolutely zero sense. Give up a good job, a chance for a, another promotion that I essentially turned over and pursue something that's completely outside of the realm of where you would normally go. But then I called a friend of mine over here to pray over me. And my wife and I physically felt the spirit outpouring with its abundance over us, giving us peace with this decision. So this land is amazing. And the providence of God that has given us this country is no doubt one of the great blessings that the world has ever seen. Even the Catholic Pope admitted that back during the during the time of the Tripoli pirates, you know, talking about Captain O'Bannon with the Marine Corps and liberating the persecuted in parts of Northern Africa. But regardless, it's been my honor to carry flags. And now I'm ready to carry a new flag into the Capitol. But I have to get rid of an old flag. So I wanted to present something to my friend over here, a flag that I carried in my body armor overseas to Afghanistan. And I wanted to give it to you. It uh, shouldn't smell anymore. I'm pretty sure I washed it well enough. <laughs> it definitely did at one time. <laughs> but uh, 
But either way, that one's seen some battle scars with me, so it would be my honor if you could carry it. But let me close this in prayer, if you wouldn't mind. Um, and then what I would ask for is that, look, I'm running for Congress, and I'm not here to make a political speech or a campaign request. But the one thing I would ask for is prayer. The one thing I would ask for is that we pray that the hearts and minds of our leadership and that we pray for the wellness and well-being of this nation categorically take on a new direction. So if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to close in prayer real quick. Merciful Father, you are righteous, you are pure, and you are perfect. And there is nothing that escapes your eye, as we know. Lord, we pray that you would bring about a revival in this nation. We pray that you would lead us as you have called your people. Lead us to be vessels capable of being filled with your spirit, with your living water. We pray for your goodness to come raining down upon this land. We pray that we shed the idols that hold us back from your glory and that alienate us from you. Most importantly, may you forge us into instruments of your will. For you are blessing, you pour out blessings and honor upon us. You give courage to our hearts and strength to our flesh. In Yeshua's name, amen. Ladies and gentlemen, Cam Hamilton. I'll tell you what, if we could get... 362 or whatever it is of Cam Hamilton's this country be fixed. Cam. Right We'd fix this country in like 30 seconds, I'll tell you right now. I think that one thing I'm going to tell you, I don't care if you're in Virginia or not in Virginia, and I know Cam's humble to say this isn't a political speech. We're not doing politics, we're doing God, and God called him to the line to run in politics, so give him support, that's straight up, right? And that's the difference between people who are out here doing politics and people that are called. Because God's gonna pull these everybody into different domains. You know, the, the challenge sometimes is like, well, yeah, but politics are corrupt. God called him. We don't make that judgment. We just know that where he's going, he's gonna win, and whatever he's doing, God's gonna make impact. So please support him. And, and we'll get the website link up for Cam um, on our website. Resistance Chicks will get it up on theirs. And and I and remember, support, like you said, it's prayers. If you can support financially, great. And if you're in the area to volunteer, volunteer. We've got to get these names up here. This is a calling that God has on people's hearts to do these things. We've got a little bit of change up in schedule. Um, and that's, so we're going to, it's a good change. Joe Vega is not going to be able to be here. He's down in Honduras, and he's got some things going, which get him, Joe. That's all I'm going to say. Go get him, brother. And, uh, <laughs> and Joe will. <laughs> so, um, but we're going, to, we're going to do two speakers next in, in, in blocks. Oh, I'm sorry. One other thing. We have found a wallet. Name again. Plank. Plank. We found a wallet. Michelle has that wallet. Last name on it is Plank. So if, you, if that is your wallet, please come see Michelle. It's important. So, okay. Now, we've got a very interesting speaker coming up here. And this is going to lead into our second speaker. So we're going to start with CJ.
and then we're going to lead over to Corey Terry, and we'll do those introductions each. But this woman is amazing. If you're not familiar with SRA, Satanic Ritual Abuse, you're going to hear about it now, somebody who survived it. Hi. What I'm about to share with you, I'm a little nervous because I am representing tens of millions of women and children around the world and here in our country in the United States. As Scott said, I am an SRA survivor. That's satanic ritual abuse. It's one of the darkest, most nefarious practices and abuses that are out there done for the purposes to gain power and control and favor from the enemy. In my story, my mom was a Christian, raised in a Christian home. My grandfather was a pastor, and she met and married a man who portrayed himself to have a desire to know Jesus. We went to church every Sunday. We seemed like we were the perfect family. We were all athletes. I modeled as a young child. But behind the scenes at home, the dark secret was at night, my dad would come in and he would choke me until I passed out. And he would take me out with a group of his friends or occult practitioners where they would do unthinkable things. By the time I was 10, I had been raped and molested well over a thousand times. I have been buried alive, brought to the brink of death multiple times, only to have these men draw my blood to use for their rituals and for their own um, energy. There's, there's a drug that is one of the most sought-after drugs, and that's called adrenochrome. It isn't made up, it's a real thing. And they get that by terrorizing and scaring children to, to the point of death. And there's different ways that they manufacture or use it. These men would just go ahead and consume it right away. I would watch them all get together and whatever it is that they were wanting to gain for power, uh, the political gain, things in the community, things for just self, selfish purposes, whatever the enemy's plan was, they would conjure up many demonic entities and it was pretty horrific. When I was in the second grade, I was tested for what they would call the gifted program for children to see, you know, if you were able to excel in different grade levels or um, academically ex excel beyond the average child. And once I was chosen for that program, these men in the occult then moved and changed their purpose for me from being raised to be what is known as a, a beta kitty or a sex kitten, where they use you 
just for that, for, for sexual purposes and control and money in the demonic system. People would ask me why I didn't tell anybody, and I did. When you're young and at that age, they teach you in school if somebody is hurting you, if they're touching you where your bathing suit is, to tell a teacher, tell a policeman, tell somebody at your church. Uh, they give you the list of people in authority to tell. And that sounds like a really good plan, except when child protective services are involved in the abuse. Police in the community are involved in the occult and the abuse. The judges and attorneys are involved and local pediatricians and the teachers. So after I was tested for the gifted program, then I was moved into a new opportunity within the demonic system. And that's a program that they use to mind control children, to program you and uh, see if you're a candidate for things like super soldier programs or other government things. In my case, I happened to be really observant and God blessed me with a photographic memory. So I started learning very quickly how the questions worked, what they were looking for, and what the uh, punishments were if you didn't answer things correctly. And I thought, because of that, I wasn't being punished like other children were around me, but things shifted to where I was taken out in the woods and left and hunted by these men. And uh, multiple times over the years, I've had to take out buckshot and other types of bullets out of my own body for healing and, um, well, the doctors didn't want to want to help with any of that. So by the time I turned nine, these men had political ambitions. And some of them were starting to run for office and other things. And so they had a large ceremony, which is one to condition you to promise you to be a bride of Satan. During that night, I experienced spiritual warfare beyond any child's comprehension, let alone most adults that I know today. For years, I was plagued by that night and wondered how I survived. And I remember crying out to Jesus. It was like I told you, my mom was a Christian. She was a devout Christian. And we went to church every Sunday. And Awana is on Wednesday. So I knew scripture. And I knew a lot of Bible songs. I don't know if anybody out there remembers something called Salty, the singing song book. If you have children, let me tell you one of the biggest tools you can give them in warfare are the Bible songs, the Sunday school songs. I would listen to Salty's Hymnological Adventure and all the different kids' praise. 
and I would do what is often called disassociate during these nights of abuse. And that's kind of a gift the Lord gives you to break away from the horrors and the trauma that are happening to your body. But the way that I would come back was my spirit would be singing those songs to Jesus. There's something about singing the B-I-B-L-E because it is written in the book of life, God's purpose for us and the warfare and the tools in which he has given us to fight the enemy are all written. And that song is a way that you can give your children, just like when Satan came to tempt Jesus, he said it is written. That's a song that you can give your children that simply just says it is written in a language that a child can understand. So I would often sing these songs, and the night that I've just been telling you about, I was singing. And I woke up in my bed. My dad was furious when he came home, wanting to know how I made it home in my bed. All I can tell you is God is good, and he rescued me from that night. I did not know that until years later. My memory that night was of remembering the horrors and thinking that I was so disgusting and vile that God himself would turn his back on me, that there was something obviously so wrong with me that these men who have promised and said that they would protect people were doing the very, very opposite. So I made up my mind. I came up with a plan and I prayed a very specific thing, thinking that it was nothing short of a miracle for it to come true. And if God could pull that off, that I would believe he was real. And I just kind of went about my days. I no longer was considered part of the gifted program because I had just shrunk into myself as a child. And pretty much everybody around me had had abandoned me. By the time I was 13, I was at an age where I could become pregnant, and these men would force pregnancy on myself and other women, children, only to have them have forced abortions for their ritual purposes. We've heard yesterday, those of you who were here, they're after your children. And that is where it starts. If they can come in and damage the perception of who God is and God's character in your children, they think that they have the upper hand. But I'm here to tell you that God is bigger than all of that. I finally found somebody that I could tell. It's the first time I remember the Lord speaking to me very clearly. And he was an evangelist at a church camp that my mom had bribed me to go to. And it was like a spotlight came over him on the last night and said, tell him and tell him everything. The abuse and the torment and the punishment, really, that I had received before for telling 
was not about to subject myself to any of that again. But I did tell him a few things to see if he really could help. Today, this man is a very dear friend of mine. And he'll even tell you he's never encountered a case in his ministry that he couldn't get CPS or the government to come in and check on a child. After months of going and going in person to make sure that somebody would come and, and check on me, they did a little check. But back then, in the 80s, there was something going around from government officials called satanic panic. So if a child came in and said anything to the effect that they were experiencing ritual-like abuse, it was considered their imagination, and they were sent home. It also was set up where parents could be in the room where the child was being interviewed. And so the, the handler sat front and center in that interview. I was too scared to go in and tell him the truth right there in front of him because I'd seen and knew what he was capable of doing. So I just smiled and said I was mistaken, and we went home. The abuse slowed down for a little bit, but demons make deals, and they want their payment, and they're very lustful. And part of that was the things that they had used me to promise them for and their quest for whatever it was they were after. So those demons started coming to collect and the men started coming to try and get me back into the nighttime rituals. One thing I want to just take a pause and say, the commitment level of these people is beyond what you might imagine. They are willing to do whatever it takes to please Satan. It isn't an hour on Sunday and a few minutes during the week, what we call demon school or their occult practices can be two hours, six hours, 16 or 18 hours a day of commitment. And just as we're talking, I just want to stop and think, ask you, I just want you to ask yourself, in your walk with Jesus and your commitment to our creator and our savior, are you in a place where you're willing to spend two hours, six hours, eight hours, 18 hours a day, whatever the cost to walk for him, to stand up for what the Bible says to be true and stand firm on those beliefs and convictions? I started running away. In fact, one of my handlers in junior high was a teacher at the school that I went to. So I was never free from being watched. Every move, everything I did was, was observed. When I went to the high school, to my knowledge, there were, at that point, there were no watchers there. First week of high school, they come and get me out of my class, tell me to get my bags, <clears throat> we need to leave, and go up to the junior high where one of my handlers worked. And I thought this was so strange. And I kept thinking, I know I passed the eighth grade, like I am supposed to be here, like why are we going back? 
there had been a threat on my life and the handlers had wanted to make sure that I knew that regardless where I was, they were watching. Life went on, I became a really angry teenager, lashed out, ran away, got emancipated, started living my life, and by the time I was 40, things all came to just a screeching halt in my life. I became sick, I couldn't eat solid food any longer, I became so weak, I couldn't walk. The torment had ramped up so much that my now husband was watching this and thought I was dying. I'd go to the doctors, my levels were fine. But then I encountered deliverance with Jesus. And as that deliverance came, every lie was shifted and the truth started just downloading in my mind. I started walking again, eating again, and as you can see, I'm up here sharing this story to bring awareness to these evil practices that are out there so that we can come together and fight against those things. Jesus is real. True healing can only come from Jesus Christ. And if there's anybody here that has experienced any trauma in their life, that they just don't know if they can get past or they're hearing the lies of the enemy try to hold them back, I just want to just say, tell it where to go, back to hell where it came from. Because you are created by the Most High God, loved by Jesus, and he came to set the captives free. And so if you have any questions, you want opportunity for healing or be prayed for, we are more than happy to do so. Please feel free to come and find us. My husband is here. There's multiple leaders here willing to, to pray and help break the bondage and strongholds of, holds of hell over your life. So. All right, we're going we're gonna to pray for CJ. Let's, let's pray. Father God, I just want to thank you. This is just an amazing testimony, and I think for many it seems a testimony of something way outside of what we thought was possible in this insane world we live in. Father, we just ask for continued blessings and anointing upon her. Continue to tell these stories and to carry that word of truth that penetrates deep to the heart and shatters the walls that people put up not to see. Let eyes be open to see with each word she speaks. Let ears be open to hear with each word she speaks. Let those words carry the, the things you need us to hear to awaken to the real focus of this world, which is to save the children. Father God, the little ones are not for sale, nor are they to be touched. And so it's now the responsibility of all those that are here to stand mightily in this hour and in this gap to ensure that that does not happen. We thank CJ for the words. Bless her and guide her in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Really some great people speaking today. And this is one of these things that often stirs the question of what do we do? Earlier today, there was an epic scene that happened down in the, in the kids' camp. And when I say epic is if you've ever been to John F. Kennedy Warfare Training Center where they train special forces, or if you've ever been, in, which is a part of the Q course area and so forth, if you've ever been around special forces guys, 
there's these, you'll see that what some of their greatest mission is to train the indigenous to fight the enemy. Earlier today, Corey Terry, Special Forces Team Sergeant, retired, set up a field camp to train the kids on tourniquets, and it was beautiful. Here we have Green Beret with his little gorillas all on the ground, all sitting there taking instruction, asking the questions. We had his assistants there showing, working with the kids on how to do a tourniquet and how to apply. This is truly what these men do, and they are incredible. And I think Corey has a message for us today who has a father, and if you haven't seen him, he's around. His wife is in Romania, which we're gonna pray for her in a bit, doing, having to deal with some issues of the family. Corey's here with his two boys, managing being teacher, father, special forces, Green Beret, the whole thing, and juggling it like any operator would do perfectly. He's doing a great job. Please welcome Corey Terry. Grabbing his stool. When you're running after a three-year-old for the last two days, ah, you get a little tired. Yeah, exactly. I, I appreciate, I appreciate my wife deeply. Uh, good afternoon. It's a pleasure to be here. Honored to be invited by Scott and to be a part of this really um, wonderful event where. People are trying to heal the country and spread the gospel. <clears throat> it's real important work. Um, I grew up. I grew up in Nebraska. Anybody been to Nebraska? Couple. Yeah, not a lot there. Um, Cornhuskers is probably the only thing there. Um, but there's a lot of great people there. Um, had a really good early childhood. <clears throat> I mean, we had we had our we had our issues. Um, stepfather died at an early age. Mom, she had a history of drug abuse, and she ended up kind of deteriorating. And, um, but I had great grandparents, really awesome brothers that taught me a lot. I was the youngest, um, and from a young age, I always wanted to join the military. I don't know why. Uh, played with GI Joes, wore camouflage clothes, played guns with the neighbors. So out of high school, I went to the recruiter. Actually, my good buddy Cam over here, he'll get a kick out of this. So I went to the Navy recruiter first because my uncle was a Navy SEAL in Vietnam, got awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. And so I went to the Navy recruiter, and there's this dumpy Navy recruiter in there. He had a big belly. He had his feet on the desk. In one hand, he had a donut. In the other hand, he had a coffee. He goes, what, what can I do for you? And I said, well, I want to be a Navy SEAL. He's like, nope, not going to happen. I can make you a boatswain's mate. I can make you a gunner's mate. And he kind of went down the line, and I said, no, thank you. And I went across the hall to the Army, and they showed me this video of guys jumping out of airplanes, uh, riding motorcycles, shooting all the cool guns, blowing stuff up. And I was like, yeah, that looks great. I'll do that. Uh, Oh, I made it to boot camp and to my first unit, and I was stuck in the back of a metal box called a Bradley. Um, it was none of what I saw in the video. I was a little disenchanted, um, mostly disenchanted with the leadership at the time. 
very self-serving, career-oriented leadership. Um, I had some problem children in my platoon. Six were getting kicked out for drugs, alcohol, or gang-related activities. It just wasn't what I envisioned the military service was going to be. <clears throat> this was in 94. So I did my time, got my honorable discharge, went back to Nebraska, uh, actually transitioned to the National Guard and had a better experience. You know, there was you know, good folks just wanting to serve in a little bit on the weekends and two weeks a year. Um, and then 9-11 happened, uh, and that just compelled me to come back to service. And I knew, I knew that what jobs were available, and I wasn't going to let the recruiter pull wool over my eyes. Um, I went straight in there and said, I want to go be a Green Beret. Um, so anyways, I'm not going to tell that whole story. Uh, but I spent 15 years, um, actually, I spent 25 years. I just retired in December 2019. Uh, five was in the Guard, 20 was active. Uh, but the last 15 was in Special Forces. And it was a, a really rewarding career. Got to learn. I was very fortunate, blessed. I was very blessed um, to get the training that I received and, and do the things that I did and, and still make it out in one piece. There's some trying times, but it was it was really good experience, and we got to help a lot of people, serve all countries, because it wasn't just it wasn't just you know shooting guns and blowing stuff up, right? That's just one small piece of the SF mission. Our bread and butter is to partner with the indigenous forces, right, and then recruit, equip, train, and employ the indigenous people to take back their country or you know, you know, if they're oppressed, you know, beat their oppressors. And so we want to train ourselves out of a job or a force multiplier, right? Twelve guys go in and a thousand come out, right? The indigenous forces. Um, but we also did humanitarian assistance. We, we set up these medical clinics and we treated a bunch of um, disadvantaged children, women. Um, we were in Africa and Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, but a very rewarding career. And uh, oh, by the way, I was told I was speaking about 10 minutes ago. Scott came up and he said, hey, hey, brother, can you get on stage? I was like, yeah, of course. And, and I had an idea that I wanted to, to share with you guys uh, to encourage you. So I was sure, put me up there. And I'll get to that point in a minute. But the preface that I want to convey, um, 2014, I was a team sergeant uh, for a special forces operational detachment alpha, uh, an ODA. And it was, I did seven trips in Afghanistan and this last one in 2014, I had more near-death experiences in that one deployment than the other eight combined. It was, it was pretty wild. Um, so there was this firefight that we got into and it was five hours just just blazing away. We had to resupply. We, we didn't have enough ammo. We brought, actually, we were working with a third group team. We brought them ammo. And we had A-10. We had F-16s. We had the C-130s, you know, the ones with the guns in it. We had AH-64s, the Apache helicopters. And I think we dropped like 20 bombs. And the enemy took a shellacking. Um, but we didn't get out unscathed. Third group uh, guy, he got shot and evac'd. And we were engaged in the enemy, and I get a call over the radio. It was my engineer sergeant. And he's like, hey, Alex is, 
Alex's hit, and he's a medic. So, and he was my only medic at the time. Actually, he was one of my students uh, when I was an instructor at the schoolhouse, uh, and I came to be a team sergeant, and he was one of my medics. So I had to kind of switch my mental gears, right, because I was in charge of the operations of the team to make sure everybody had bullets and they're shooting at the right directions. And I didn't even carry a, a, a med bag on that, on that deployment. And so I had to switch. I was like, okay, Alex needs me. I run up. I couldn't even get to Alex. He was kind of in his open area in a truck. And there was just machine gun fire. I mean, you could see it hitting the vehicle. You can see it hitting the ground. And uh, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do any good to him dead. So I called on the radio. The team leader was actually trying to coordinate fires in the same truck. And I called him. I said, hey, can you jump on the driver's seat and just button hook around and I'll jump on. So he came around. And as soon as I jumped on, the other team, the third group uh, medic, he jumped on. And it was, it was kind of, you know, looking back a little bit comical, the, the third group medic, he, looks at me with white in the face and just, this is, I mean, distraught. And he's like, explicative, uh, I forgot my aid bag. It happens, no, it doesn't. So in the, in, the, in the training course, if you forgot your aid bag, you failed that block. And hopefully you got to recycle because it's that important, right? You don't go to war without your gun. You don't go to war without your aid bag. But because we are very good at contingency planning, uh, and we have a lot of redundancy. We had a, a vehicle aid bag that had plenty of medical uh, gear and we went to work. So Alex was shot by a sniper in the neck, came out the back. Um, I didn't see the entrance room. We didn't see the entrance room right away. We just saw the blood was coming out of his uh, the back of his chest. And so we were trying to do hemorrhage control. I'd never seen a chest wound bleed like that. And uh, we have these seals that you put over the holes just so your lungs can function better. And it wasn't sticking because there was so much blood. It was 101 degrees. Uh, so he, he was sweating. Oh, my son, he's up. Thanks, Mattia. I appreciate you looking out. No problem. Great kids. He was, he was asleep. And of course, when dad gets up here and starts speaking, he's going to wake up. Liam, hey Liam, you're okay. Liam, come here. Liam, come here. Come here. Come here. What's your name? What's your name? Liam. Yeah. How old are you? Three years old. Three years old. Three years old. He's the politest. I've got six kids, and he's the politest of all of them. Plus, he's unvaccinated. Never had a needle in his arm. Yeah. So we were working on Alex. Um, he was bleeding a lot. We we managed kind of uh, stave off the bleeding, put a lot of pressure on it, um, found out the entrance wound, got a medevac in there, and we got him to a forward surgical team. Um, the flight was only five minutes, and they did damage control surgery. He survived. He went back to a team fully operational a year later, 
Um, and the reason I'm, I'm telling you this, this war story is because the point is, is I only had one medic. We normally have two medics. In that deployment, when we got to Afghanistan, I had two medics. Where's the other one? Well, about four days prior to that engagement, I got a phone call from my sergeant major, right? So he's the senior enlisted in the company. And he said, hey, get Wolf on a helicopter, bags packed, and send him back. No questions asked, I will send a follow-up email. I was like, uh, yeah, roger that. So we did, we did as we were told, and we sent him back. And the email that he sent detailed the antics that this guy was doing. He enrolled on George Washington University online. He was working in the clinic when we weren't on operations, and he was doing his online classes. The introduction on the blackboard, he proceeded to be very arrogant. I'm this big, bad Green Beret. I did this. I do this. But at the end, he said, oh, and I love killing Muslims, not terrorists, not enemy, categorically Muslims. Of course, that is not the character that we try to recruit into our ranks. So the, in the class, there was a command sergeant major from the 1st Battalion 1st Group that was also in the class. He didn't know it. And of course, there was another E7 that worked with that CSM. And the CSM told the E7, said, hey, I want you to reach out to this knucklehead and set him straight. So the E7 wrote my medic an email saying, hey, what are you doing? This is not the ethos that we purport we possess. And my medic, arrogant as can be, shot him back a email that basically was the middle finger. And of course, the CSM called the soccer in Europe, right? CSM, which called my battalion CSM, called my company star major, and he called me. So now I'm down out of 12 guys, I'm down to 11. And when you're in a country, a hostile environment, you rely on your indigenous people, but you rely on every single member on your team. And so now I'm down a medic and four days later, uh, we're in the biggest firefight and my only medic now gets shot. So why do I say that? Before I went to special forces, I, I, I looked up to the, all the soft, right? The Rangers I looked up to, I looked up to the SEALs, I looked up to the Green Berets. And of course, I wanted to try it, but I thought, you know, I, they were up on this pedestal. I thought there was something like, okay, I wish, I hope, pray that I can do this. And once you go through the training, wonderful training, well, the selection and the training, you get to a team and you're like, wow, this is, this is amazing. Working with awesome guys, doing awesome things in awesome places. But, you know, selection's not always perfect, right? Sometimes um, guys that lack the character that we want and need, and it shows when it's most important. Down? Yeah. Okay, where's Mattia? Okay, you go to Mattia. He'll get you some lemonade, okay? Okay? Hey, Mattia, can you get him some lemonade? So, 
the character is very important, right? That moral courage. I mean, we all know courage, right? When, when you are faced with serious bodily harm or death and you do the right thing for others. So moral, moral courage is doing the right thing, obviously, um, like we, we experienced in, in the last three and a half years with the COVID and the mandates. And, you know, Cameron's a, a shining example of, of someone that stood up against that, that tyrannical mandate, the illegal and moral mandate. Um, and, and going back to character, I was very disheartened to look at my community that I respected and, and I still respect them. Uh, I have some understanding, but I thought more of us would stand up and it's, I can probably count, I probably have more fingers than I can count of fellow Green Berets that actually stood up and put their career and the livelihood of their families on the line against this tyranny. And, it, and you know our motto is deal, deal oppressively bear, which loosely translates to free the oppressed. And now we're the oppressed. Oh, he got his lemonade. Well done. So now we as Americans are oppressed. We as Christians are oppressed. Who's standing up, right? So now I'm getting to my point. I used to think that Green Berets were on this pedestal because they did all this cool stuff and they jumped out of airplanes and they you know, did combat dive and, and they shot sniper rifles and they took on the enemy and all these great things. Truth be told, when I was a team sergeant, you know, obviously they have to get to the training. I would rather have a brand new guy out of the course with the correct character, with no experience, and a guy that's been in for 15 years, multiple deployments, got all these medals, all these schools, but he's character defunct. And because I could use a guy that has the right character, I can train him. You know, he's got the right motivation. Motivation is, is key. Why are you doing this? Are you doing it for a cool hat? Are you doing it for medals? Are you doing it for your family, your country, and your teammates? That's why I love, like Doc Chambers always says, the truest virtue of a warrior is love, not hate. We're not fighting our enemy because we hate them. We're fighting our enemy because we love our teammates and we love our family, we love our country. And I, I truly believe that. I think love conquers all. And we get our love from Jesus, right? So I'm wrapping it up now, Scott. So what I'm trying to say to you is you sitting right here shows more moral courage than a lot of guys that wear the same hat that I do. Or a lot of guys that wear a trident on their chest who didn't stand up, didn't stand up and say something. If we all just stood up and, and did the right thing and got in the way of this, this tyranny, it wouldn't have happened. And you hear this all the time, over and over again. There's more of us than there is of them. So Scott talks about bringing the tribes together. We're together in this. Whether 
we were special operations, whether you're sitting here or you're listening uh, on the internet, we're the same. I'm no better than you. You're no better than me. But you guys are standing and you're standing right next to me. And that's, that's moral courage. And so you guys are the Green Berets on the civilian side. You guys demonstrate daily, especially with your walk in faith and your concern for our country, our families, and just any stranger on the street. So don't think, you know, the, 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 old, the, the saying that everybody says, where's the military? Well, we're it, we're it. So believe me, when I, when I say none of this matters, none of this stuff that I've done matters. What matters is what we do today and what we do tomorrow for our children. Lemonade, exactly. My son is three years old. I have six kids. I have actually four grandkids, whether I look like it or not. Started early. My oldest is 30. But I'm getting older, and someday... I'll be going to heaven, and it'll be left to them. And I don't want to leave them. Oh, he's got dirt and lemonade on him. Oh. Say right. Right. Say amen. Amen. So, so we named him William because I wanted a strong name. I wanted... And I, and I didn't know this before, but William means the protector. And he's going he's gonna to be the protector of the next generation. So you guys are in the fight, the spiritual warfare, same as me, same as Cam, same as Scott, same as everybody out here. We're all on the same team. What do you want to say? Yeah, it was quiet. So, so I want to thank you guys for coming out and um, thank Scott for and the, and the resistance chicks for putting this on and everybody, you know, the, the, the technical side, the, the food side, the, the, the children's camp, like everything is awesome. Everybody has their place. You know, Colonel used to tell me, uh, you know, a watch doesn't work if it's missing one gear. Everybody has an important job and important duty body of christ i heard that yeah so thank you i appreciate all of you i appreciate being here and i was actually really happy to come here very honored to be invited to come here Please. so real quick i have something for scott because he's done a lot for me and encouraging me and inspiring me um rocks, rocks. he loves rocks i uh Come on up here, Scott. Come on up here. Hold my. So this is the Green Beret that I got right out of the Q course. It's actually, I don't know what happened to the one I was wearing when I retired, but I've had this for 17, 18 years. And, you know, it's a little worn, it's a little dirty, but 
I just wanted to present him something that took a lot of work for me to earn. And I'm, of course, I'm proud, but I'm humble, but I'm, I'm proud to have done what I've done and serve for what I thought was right. But this is, this is just to, you know, just to show respect and how much your work means to me. So thank you. Can we have him close with the prayer? Can, we, can he close with the prayer? Yes. Hey, can you pray? Here, here, let's do a prayer, okay? All right, go. Dear God, thank you, Jerry, Mommy, Daddy, Andrea, Nadia, Zoe, Daddy. Help me. Help me. Help me be a good boy. Help me be a good boy. And do the right things. Right things. Is that it? That's it. <laughs> In the name of Jesus. Amen, Jesus. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Thank you. I've had. I've had honor now from this is my tribe and uh, I love these guys Cam come on up I've had the absolute blessing in my life not to be one of them to work with them I, uh, I was selected to be part of General Scott Miller's team that was uh, Combined Forces Special, F Special Component Command Afghanistan. And there were Special Forces and Navy SEALs. The greatest men I've ever worked with, most courageous men I ever worked with, and we built trust. I was that odd guy out. We had a big open talk, no walls, and I'm the guy that has the big monitor in the middle of the room editing movies and they're like dude who are you and we work together and it's the heart of these men that truly have spilled the blood in the most extreme places for this nation what has happened to me today is hard to put into words i have um had the privilege of not only serving with each of these units, but also had the privilege of training even some of the Special Forces guys, which I can never quite figure out how God did that to me, because I never was a Special Forces guy through Q course, nor did I go through BUDS. But I'm privileged to stand on this stage with them. I call them brothers. I'm humbled that they're here. This is a prayer answer that we come to a time when we start to see that community stand up and to awaken not only in the body of Christ, but the mightiness of the fight that they bring to this war. And they are fierce, and they will lead, and they will provide you with things and insights into things that will give you greater strength than you've ever imagined. They're both fathers. They're both husbands. You see the passion they have for their sons and that passion they carry into the fight. I want you to look at this picture today. Pete, come on up. 
I want you to look at this picture that's standing here today. I want you to see these guys, and I want you to remember this moment, because this is epic. This is a moment of what I said today when I stood here on the stage, and God hit me, and I was just kind of offhandedly saying, this is Veterans Day. This is Veterans Day of the new war, of the new fight, where we start to come together as one country, one patriot group, one body under Christ. And today you're joined by the men that will help you get there where you think you can't accomplish something. They're going to show you how you can. And they're helping us. <laughs> and you're helping them. This is one team, one fight. And never forget that. So when you get down or you think you're impossible to go, I want you to think of this moment because they have the trust, they have the faith, they have the belief to stand here with you and say we're one. And that should tell you everything. So thank you. Thank you. There's, a, there's an interesting knitting that happens when we're together. And this is, a, we have a group that we talk with and chat with. We're all on it. And you build a trust in, and a respect for each other. There's a thing that is neat about these chats, and, and it's something I want you to all hear. And in, in colloquial terms, it's team rules, team room rules. You can speak the truth without getting somebody's feelings hurt. The reason this is, is you got to be tough. You got to be willing to hear the truth no matter what it is. You got to be willing to hear the truth and respect it. And you may not agree with it. And sometimes it can get pretty heated. And you, you got to joke a little bit. You got to be jabbed a little bit. And that's good because it builds character. It builds strength, but it also builds trust. And when you get to that place where you can build trust with one another, then you know who you can count on. The one thing I've always known, I've worked with these guys, and I'm the outsider. Remember, I didn't go through what they did. But when they accepted me in, there was one thing I absolutely knew, and they knew from me back. I will put my life down for any one of these men as they would have for me. That's martyrdom spirit. And that moment right now has to be in the heart of every single one of you. Because we're here to fight for something greater than just politics. Cam said it wasn't a political speech. He's right. It's a speech of God to have him placed in the fight in politics. So we stand behind him and we do whatever it takes to make sure he gets all he needs to win. Corey sat there today and taught your kids something incredible, taught them skills. And he did it like he does, he's done around the world. He was raising up the new guerrilla army teaching them the basics of medical care as the children were just enthralled. He will give his life for your kids. You will give your life for his. Doc came in here the first day. You've heard me say on the show, no pit bulls. The first thing that happens is, he was, is Joe took a hit from a dog that was a part pit bull. Joe took the hit for you and your kids, and that's how they roll. Okay. So... We are one, we are one body, and this is one warrior army. 
Now look together, knit together, rely on the gifts and talents to raise us up mightier and greater and understand these men now are joining you not because they want to be separate, but because they want to see us win in a greater way. Pray on it. And so with that, let's, I want you to all stand, please. Carolyn, can you come up here, please? Where's Brad Miller? Ivan, quit taking your psychological profile exam. Come on up here. Colonel Ranklin, Colonel Ranklin, front and center post. He was getting his psychological profile. I said it's easy. He's a wrecking ball that hates pedophiles, crushing them in DC, and is going to leave the trail of blood behind him. Done. <laughs> Is Brad, is Brad around still, Brad Miller? Where's that battalion commander that's sleeping in a hotel? <laughs> All right. All right. As inside joke, kind of. All right. I'm going to ask you all, please, I want you to raise up your hands. I want you to pray for these men and women right here. This is Carolyn. She's Air Force. She's part of the team has been supporting the, the whistleblowers that come out against the COVID death shot. All right, Father, we stand here today with the warriors you have called, men of valor and men of heart, men of uncorruptible morality and, and strength and spirit like no other. But today, Father, we're asking for the blessing of the Holy Spirit to rest upon them. We ask that their armor be strengthened. We ask truly where they stand and where they walk now that not only do they have the power of the Holy Spirit, the blessing of kingdom, but the might of the children of the Most High that stand here today with their hands up raising amen. I hear an amen. amen. Father, we just ask now and just we build this unity in this tribe, a greater tribe. We're bringing the tribes together, but now we're knitting as one. Allow the power of each and the unity of each, the strength of each, the blessings of each come together to raise each other up. That as one army, we are invincible. As one army, we shall never bow. As one army with our eyes on, the, on Christ, we shall march forward. We shall slay this evil. We shall restore this nation with you upon the throne and put the government under the feet of the people. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Let's take about 10 minutes, take a little breath, and we're going to have, are you, can you go a little bit early? Okay, we're going to have Colonel Pete Chambers speak. So take a breath, stretch a little bit, and then we'll hit it. We'll call you back here in a few minutes. Thank you all. Thank you.